0: What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina of SP Nation. And Michael, I gave you homework for today's episode. It's a special edition episode. Now, usually we lean heavily on the Open Floor Globe. You know, they carry us with their amazing questions, but it's not going to be this QA format like we usually do because we've got some very serious business to attend to. And that is handing out our all-star picks. And we're going to do it in one go. We're not going to drag this out over multiple episodes. This is judgment day. All right, Michael, we're going to name our starters. We're going to name our bench players. We may even have to name some injury reserve selections. And then we're going to talk about some snubs too. And I just want this to be very clear up front. We are taking this so seriously, Arguably too seriously. <laughs> Michael, I told you very strictly which players could be front court or back court players. We're not going to be cheating in any form or fashion on that. And we are going to, uh, you know, do our best to hopefully have some natural disagreements here and and flesh out some of the more interesting uh, conversation talking points but then also most importantly, try to arrive on which guys are most deserving. And I know that uh, in typical fashion, you have relied on both the eye test and the nerd test. You're digging in deep to the advanced numbers. I did a little bit of that myself. And I think this should be a a pretty spirited and fun conversation. So uh, without further ado, let's help some of these guys book their trips to Chicago. What do you say? I, I live for this. I'm so excited, Ben. I I love it, and I do too. And that's uh, you know part of the reason why I think we bond. So here's what we're gonna do: everyone starts these all-star podcasts with the Eastern Conference, and you know what? That drives me crazy. We're gonna start with the show. That's right. We're gonna start with the Western Conference All-Star team.
1: Give me your five starters, Michael, in the West. Okay, so in the backcourt, uh, first of all, I just want to say this was very. This is a very easy. Uh, uh, situation here with the Western Conference starters. Well, so in the back, backcourt... don't you
0: think it's easy because the talent is just so rich and it's just so obvious? I mean, it's it's more it's trickier in the Eastern Conference where you have a lot of marginal players. You know, AAA All Stars. Not quite the same. Wouldn't you say it's a little bit okay. easier? Okay, okay, be... we'll
1: get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> All right, take take us away the cream of the crop, Western Conference starters. Okay, so my backcourt is James Harden and Luka Doncic, and in the front court. My three guys are LeBron, AD, and Kawhi Leonard. So I sent you my picks. Did
0: you just copy them? Or was this just a case where there was five obvious names? Ben, I just told you that this was obvious. (laughs) (laughs) All right, five for five. We agree completely. Was there anyone who you looked at twice? Was there anybody that you thought about? I mean, all five of these guys have had pretty good availability from the injury standpoint. Now, Kawhi missed a little bit of time earlier in the season, sitting the back-to-backs and so forth. Anthony Davis has a bruised rear end right now. He's missed a few games because of that. Um, You know, Harden, Luke, and LeBron have been out there quite a bit. I guess if I was going to ask you, like, who was your sixth man or who was your sixth starter? Was there anybody uh, in that conversation for you or was it just, you know, open and shut?
1: Actually, when I first was putting this together, for whatever reason, I don't know why, you know, when I'm just kind of like writing things down as fast as I can, just names that pop into my head. I actually had Jokic ahead of AD, and then I thought about it for about four minutes, and then I was like, "What? Am, this is ridiculous. I can't have Nikola Jokic ahead of Anthony Davis. I started to factor in defense. I factored in the fact that, uh, you know, the Lakers are just this juggernaut, and he is a huge reason why. And also, Jokic's start was very disappointing by his standards, so uh, that was the closest I came to any like any controversy whatsoever, but I, I, I'm i pretty confident that AD deserves to start over Jokic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of there with you. I mean, you could make an argument outside of Giannis, like these five starters are the next five MVP candidates at this point, right, in some order. I mean, Kawhi, LeBron, AD, Luka, and Harden, they all have cases uh, in the MVP conversation, so... Uh, there's not really a weak link. I do think Jokic is is victimized here by the change of the All-Star Ballot a few years ago, right? Like if you were forced to name a center, I think he would have been the obvious answer, especially because Anthony Davis is spending most of his time at the four, uh, given the success of uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and, and the big lineups in LA. But mm-hmm. given that we have a, you know a two backcourt and a three frontcourt configuration to vote for, I didn't see much of anything to debate, and I, you know, I can understand the argument for a Jokic. Um, You know, I could understand, you know, like a, you know, a crazy, uh, you know, stat-minded argument for somebody like a Rudy Gobert because of the Jazz's team success and his defensive rating and all of that. Um, You know, I could even see some people, you know, going way outside the box and saying don't sleep on Damian Lillard. But to me, it was, you know, it was pretty open and shut. So I named a couple of guys who I imagine that you have. On your Western Conference reserves list, uh, so why don't you uh, you know give me that right now? If we're just going to assume that the the starters are are open and shut.
1: All right, so this is where it gets a little trickier. Uh, so my backcourt reserves are Donovan Mitchell and Paul George, and then in the front court I have Jokic, Gobert, and Brandon Ingram.
0: Woo! Okay. Um, <laughs> and then who are your two wildcards to fill out the bench?
1: Wild cards, I have Dame, Dame Lillard, and Devin Booker. Oh,
0: my God.
1: All right. So I already can now... This is going to be fun. I
0: I can hone in on, you know, which one I'm mad about. How are you going to snub Chris Paul like that, man? Come on.
1: Look, Chris Paul has had an incredible season. And, you know, going to Oklahoma City, that was a very... It could have gone a lot of different ways, a lot of messier ways. Uh, And he's been a rock for them. And they've been one of the most surprising teams in the league. But like, if you just stack up the, the the numbers, like it just doesn't, the case is just so hard to make for him. It just is.
0: Yeah, it does get tricky, right? Because we're balancing a, a bunch of different factors. Obviously, you have the per game numbers, you have the advanced stats, you have the contribution to winning, you have the intangibles of, you know, team success and, and how important or central this one particular player is as part of it. I think when I take the more holistic approach and I get away from just the pure numbers, though, I feel real strongly that Chris Paul's got to be in a guy like Brandon Ingram's got to be out. I'm not trying to base that solely on winning. um, But I do think like who's elevating their team's play, who's, uh, you know, showing better leadership uh, capabilities. I would argue Chris Paul is probably a better and and more reliable two way contributor at this point. so you're wrong, man. You're just absolutely flat-out wrong. <laughs> you can't be snubbing Chris Paul this year off the All-Star team. Come on, Michael.
1: Can I Can I just – I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I will say that Chris Paul – was my injury replacement, if that makes you feel any better. Like, if I was the commissioner and someone got hurt, I would immediately put Chris Paul in the All-Star Look,
0: game. unless you're going to go out there and galooly someone and make sure there's an injury, Michael, that <laughs> that is the definition of finishing fourth in the Olympics, all right? I mean, come on. You're, you're definitely snubbing him. All right, I'm going to give you my uh, list real quick here, okay? I got backcourt, uh, Dame Lillard, Chris Paul. Uh, I got frontcourt, Paul George, Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, and my... Uh, my two wild cards are actually both Utah Jazz guys, and everyone's going to laugh at me because for like the last two months of podcasts, I've been like, wow, what happens? What are you going to do? Pick Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell? What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> I copped out and picked both of them, Michael. Um, so from that group, you know, I, I went at you a little bit over Chris Paul. Which of my guys uh, maybe sticks out to you? Is there, is there one of those guys who you think is undeserving or is it just Chris Paul?
1: No, I mean, probably just Chris. Uh, I think the Damian Lillard case is interesting. He's an obvious all-star, but his team is underperformed this season, so I could see maybe someone trying to snub him, but that would be that would be pretty tough. Um, no, I mean, your list is pretty solid. Uh, interesting that we both have both of the, the jazz players. I actually wrote a column on this because Utah was in New York City. Uh, over the past few days about which All-Star or which player uh, on the Jazz should go to All-Star Weekend. And I kind of came to the conclusion that if it was only one, it would be Rudy, but that both should, as you can see by my list, that both should go to Chicago because Donovan has just been a monster.
0: Yeah, no, I was proud of you for that column. I mean, you reached the right conclusion. If it should only be one, it should be Rudy. I know he was the center of some Twitter debates, uh, you know, this week because uh, my guy David Locke, who does the Locked On NBA podcast with me every week, uh, was giving him credit for a triple double with screen assists, and a lot of people freaked out about that. Oh, you're trying to, you know, overrate <laughs> yeah. Rudy Gobert's value. Look, I understand the pushback, but at this point, like whatever needs to be done to get Rudy Gobert some attention, it should be done. This guy is a legit all-star player. He has been for the last two seasons, arguably the last three seasons. I would be saying that even if Utah wasn't the hottest team in the league right now, um, and he's a centerpiece to a very reliable, strong, well-organized defense, and he's so good on defense, he allows them to go out there and get guys who maybe aren't plus defenders and play them big minutes because he can help them out. And that helps balance their offense and make it, uh, you know, uh, even more potent than maybe it's been in previous years. So to me, he needs to be there. And I promise you, I'm not falling for the crocodile tears from last year. This has nothing to do with Rudy Gobert's mother being let down by the coach's vote in last year's, uh, you know, all-star process. This is strictly based on uh, the most deserving. I think he really has got to be there. Now, to me, the Mitchell one is is pretty interesting he was the one I hesitated on the most. Um, As you're mentioning, he's come on strong here, definitely having the best year of his career. They're winning big time. And I think when you're in a situation where you're rewarding multiple Clippers, you're rewarding multiple Lakers, uh, you know, the teams at the top of the conference all have representatives, like it gets a little bit easier to consider a Donovan Mitchell when his maybe top competition is like a Devin Booker or a Brandon Ingram who you picked or a Russell Westbrook or a John Morant like I think he maybe just got it on my ballot because he had fewer questions if that makes sense like his defensive numbers are better than a guy like Booker his team's winning more than say the Pelicans with Brandon Ingram I would way rather have Donovan Mitchell on my team, just period, uh, than Russell Westbrook, despite, you know, Westbrook's kind of box score stats. I mean, that, to me, that's not even really that close at this point. So I arrived at Mitchell in kind of a roundabout way. I kind of backdoored into him as my last pick. But uh, how did
1: you feel? Because I think you had him not even as one of your wild cards, right? No, I mean, I've been a huge fan of his for a while now. I thought that he should have been the rookie of the year. I love. Everything about his offensive game. Uh, the one trepidation I would have is just on his is his shot selection, which is something that I brought up in our last episode. And sometimes he, you know, he'll take a pull-up, 18-footer early in the clock that's like partially contested for reasons that i don't understand so he's kind of working through that working the kinks out of his game with that he's getting smarter uh i think just aesthetically whenever he passes the basketball like in a flashy get like his assists are just they're breathtaking like i i don't really know how to articulate just what they look like unless you are watching them happen but the way he just snaps his wrists and sends the ball like a million miles an hour it's like a a, a pitcher to a catcher it's just it's incredible so I, i'm a huge fan of his uh, freak of nature athlete seems like uh like he's he's got that dame lillard leadership quality as well which the jazz are just through the moon about And, uh, and yeah, like in the fourth quarters and in crunch time, he's their go-to guy. So, uh, for me, like just, you, you look at Utah's success and the, the way he factors into that as well. And he's just, he's just gotta be on the team. So Michael, I don't know why you would do this, but let's say you put
0: a gun to the Jazz's front office's head and you said you can only pick one, Rudy or, or
1: Donovan, who do you think they pick? Uh, So I actually asked someone in the front office... Wait, wait, wait. You put a gun to someone's head? I did not say that, Ben. No, I didn't. This took a dark turn. No, I did. I asked asked someone in their front office this exact question because he wanted to know what I was writing about, and I told him the premise of my story, and then I posed it to him, and he just shook his head. I'm not answering that, but he said it smiling, but... He's like, both of, both of our guys deserve to be in the all-star game. I don't understand how, uh, how anyone could not, any coaches could not vote them in. So they are pretty gung-ho about both guys equally, I would say. At least this one individual was. Yeah, but at, uh, the, at the same
0: time, he said that in a French accent with a beret on,
1: <laughs> and he put his <laughs> finger over his
0: uh, lip like as if it was a mustache, didn't he? I mean, they, they're on Team Rudy, let's be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the relationship is just longer. And then I, I'll also say that he brought up, uh, he asked why I wasn't writing about Boyan Bogdanovich, and I, I, I had to keel over with laughter. But um, Well, so- now we know the Jazz front office is just
0: like the <laughs> Jazz media, because don't they want Ingles in too? I mean, maybe we should just have the whole Jazz starting five. Or maybe we can't squeeze Conley in. He's had maybe a little bit of a rough season. They might even admit that. But we just have four Jazz uh, representatives in Chicago.
1: How hilarious would it be if Joe Ingalls, Boyan Bogdanovich, Donovan, and Rudy got in and Mike Conley (laughs) did not make it? That would be just the story of his career. Look, Michael, this is
0: what Reddit should be doing, right? Remember when Reddit used to, like, uh, firebomb the votes for random, like, online polls? Maybe they still do that. It would be so funny if they just like picked a random team like Utah that always gets snubbed in the fan votes and then just did like a coordinated campaign to like, you know, (laughs) counteract all the Alex Caruso buzz uh, in the fan voting and just go all out for guys like Joe Ingles. That would be absolutely incredible. Um, I guess the NBA has put in protections by letting the players and uh, the media vote so that it really wouldn't determine the starters. But that would be so funny. Um, Let me ask you this. What about Towns? I mean, he seemed like a no-brainer as recently as, what, three weeks ago? Um, But he's been out, you know, quote-unquote questionable. Long time to be questionable, um, for sure, up there in Minnesota. Uh, They don't have the world's best record. Um, They are eyeing, it seems like, you know, maybe a major overhaul here at the trade deadline by uh, taking Jeff Teague out of the equation, sending him to Atlanta, pursuing, you know, potentially D'Angelo Russell, other trade partners down the road. Um, is Towns a guy we should be penciling in? Does he get the Dame Lillard treatment? Even though he's on a bad team, we don't blame him because he's such a good, uh, you know, franchise level player. Or is he someone that, you know, you were flirting with, uh, you know, penalizing for some of these circumstances I'm describing?
1: No, I had Towns on my team for like the majority of the time since I started to, to pencil names in. And then... You just look at a couple of factors. I mean, for one, he hasn't played a lot. Like, he's only played 23 games this season. He's missed a—it feels like a month, I want to say. He's missed, like, a, a good chunk of change. He's been out since—his last game was December 13th. So he's he's missed quite a bit of time. And in that time, the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, they were one of the worst defenses in the league when he got injured. And uh, since they've bumped up all the way to about league average on defense. And I don't think that that's necessarily like the biggest coincidence in the world. And Carl Anthony Towns' his defense has been a question mark for a very long time. And I thought it was going to, I thought he was going to make strides this year just with the, the overhaul of the coaching staff and the scheme that they had. And if you look at his rim protection numbers, they're, they're pretty. They're pretty good. They're comparable to to Rudy Gobert, but just a lot of other things that he does uh, that just he's not making the strides. He's not reading the offense. He's not uh, rotating as tightly as he probably should. And uh, so I'm penalizing him for that just because, uh, you know, the Timberwolves, like the defense has been extremely good since he's been out and i feel like that, that that there's a connection there so when i look at towns that's that that kind of has the combination of him missing as much time as he has plus the improvement on one side of the ball uh that the the timberwolves have made because of his absence because uh, it's not like his backup bigs are you know uh Dikembe Mutombo or anything like that like it's it's just it, he, i think that it's fair to criticize his defense and if you look at you know Timberwolves twitter they are they're all over this as a subject and a narrative no i hear uh, you so i th- mean his backup
0: is Gorgi Deng right not quite Dikembe Mutombo i mean i, I right. hear i hear you on that look his numbers just his box score numbers he's like 26 11 and 4 with the steal and ridiculous. so that's yeah, crazy ridiculous. right and he's shooting like 51 41 80 basically which are crazy splits Especially for a guy who's as big as him, especially for a guy who's playing center. But one way to kind of frame the argument against him is that even Paul George, who like took the whole first month of the season off to get back, has played more games than Carl Anthony Towns at this point. So if you want to go on the adage that, you know, the greatest ability is availability, and you want to look at not only maybe their defense improvement without him, but just their season dies in the water once he's out for that amount of time, right? Like, and you and I like to hold that against guys because if we're going to give people credit like Chris Paul for contribution to winning, we do need to necessarily at some point hold, uh, you know, absences against guys as well. To me, I was really having a hard time prioritizing my snubs of who I really thought was having a better all-around season than Towns had. Um, you know, like my snubs list was guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, Booker, you know, John Morant, Brandon Ingram, Russell Westbrook, Montrez Harrell, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I think some of those guys are kind of cute stories by my definition, right? They're getting buzzed, but maybe they're not. You know, that elite, you know, top 10, top 15 level player like Towns was uh, earlier mm. this season. And, you know, some of them had their own injury issues as well, which, uh, you know, takes them out a little bit. So I reluctantly uh, included Towns, um, but I, I felt like, uh, the only real knock against him, you know, the strong knock was his absence. And he played enough and he played well enough early to keep him on for, for my liking.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, I, I just also want to say that he's a seven foot center who's taking eight and a half threes a game and making like 42% of them. So he's, that's just a ridiculous thing. I mean, he he's taking step back threes. I remember in the the Minnesota Timberwolves opened their season in Brooklyn so there were a few front office people here and I was just chatting with some of them uh before opening night and you know they were like watch out for Carl's step back like the step back three is going to be a serious thing for him this year and I was like I don't think that that's real I, I and you know in the first game he hits one over Jared Allen and it's like Oh my goodness. Cause like his stride is just like, he's almost at the elbow and he's stepping back behind the three point line. So he is a freak and I'm sorry that I had to take him off my team.
0: Oh, it's so funny. So my dad played center in high school and he basically half of our basketball relationship is him complaining about the point guards, not passing him the ball enough when he was in high school (laughs) and that basically like poisoned him from wanting to continue the sport as he got older. Um, and so when I see guys like Towns, the way that they've morphed that position, right, where they are taking the crazy high volume, like you've described, but they also have the green light to like run, pick and rolls, to go to step back three-pointers uh, basically to just chuck as to their heart's delight. I always think of him and just like, man, sorry, you were like 40 years before your time. You know what I mean? <laughs> you would have been the modern stretch five who would have just been loving life. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You had Booker on your
1: list? I did have Booker as one of my wild cards, yes.
0: So make the case for him because I left him off. He was one of the tougher snubs. I think when I first looked at this maybe a month ago, Uh, before the injury stuff I was really weighing him and and Mitchell very closely and at that time I had Booker um, but I think what I I wound up coming down to is you know his defensive numbers are pretty rough obviously the Suns tailed off a bit from where they were record-wise earlier uh, and I think the Jazz took off so that's why I gave the nod to Mitchell uh, for my last spot but
1: uh, why did you settle on Booker? I mean, he's a highly efficient uh, alpha scorer. He was basically 50, 40, 90 for most of the years. Three point shooting has tailed off a little bit, but he's got high usage. Uh, like I said, incredibly efficient, true shooting, 62.4, which is terrific. And like every year of Devin Booker's career, The sons get obliterated when he's on the floor. Uh, It's just, you know, some of it is on him. Some of it is, or I should say a lot of it is on... Uh, his co-stars and the rosters that they put around him. And, well, you know, co-stars is pretty generous, Michael. I, I know. know. I, I, I needed a, I needed a quick thesaurus there, yeah. For I sure. think you're looking for the word anonymous <laughs> teammates? teammates. yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe even fair. supporting cast. <laughs> so, yes, uh, very fair. But this year, you know, they've brought in adults into the locker room. You know, there's Aaron Baines, there's Ricky Rubio. Kelly Oubre, who was on the team last year, but uh, I think has been a, a more uh, calming presence this season as well as just kind of like a young veteran. So, uh, and you know when he's on the floor now, the Suns outscore their opponent by it's it's uh, a measly one point per one hundred possessions, but it's 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 positive. So, I just feel like. He's great. he's all around. I think his defense has taken strides in the in a positive direction. He's actually caring. he fights over screens um, and he's a terrific playmaker. I mean he's I, I would say just among like two guards off ball guards like he's like an a minus playmaker. So uh, I'm I'm a fan of his game. I think he improves constantly uh, and uh, you know a lot of people said that his numbers were empty uh, in previous years in his career. And I, maybe that was accurate, but right now he is contributing to winning to a team that is, you know, it's not in the playoffs if the season ended today, but I think they're going to battle and see if they can get to that eight seed.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, he was my toughest snub this year. Uh, if you look at just where his numbers are, I mean, uh, efficiency is up on two pointers. Efficiency is up on three pointers. He's shooting almost 92% uh, from the free throw line, which is spectacular. And the steady improvement throughout his NBA career as a facilitator for his teammates, and in some cases, like, you know, just having better teammates that help make him look like a better facilitator, uh, has certainly been demonstrable progress. And we know about just his pure scoring ability and instincts and very deep bag of tricks. Um, you know, all that stuff is pretty uh, unimpeachable. Uh, you know, to me, I think it really came down to uh, just record, you know, uh, I think if they had been closer up into that, you know, eight seed mix, um, and they're not far off of that, the case, uh, against, you know, between him and, and, uh, Mitchell would have been easier to make in his favor. Um, ultimately with Utah basically being the three seed Phoenix being the 11 seed. Uh, I think I kind of just defaulted to that as my tiebreaker. I'm curious though, outside of this context, if I could give you the choice between Booker and Mitchell to start a franchise, who do you pick and what, what's the determining factor?
1: That is such a great question. I've, I've,
0: Thank you. Well, I've been podcasting for a few years now, Michael. <laughs> I've been working on my game. I've been trying to have the continual improvement like Devin Booker, and, and here I am, just you know, throwing out million dollar heaters right
1: at you. I would say because of his size, I would probably take Booker. You know, he's about he's maybe four inches taller. Uh, I think he's a better pure shooter and uh i think because of his situation going through all the losing having to carry teams being the number 1 Uh, target basically by the opposing defense in their scouting report every night. You know, he's been developing steadily as a playmaker as well, having to go out and kind of round out his game. So I would probably go with him. I'm not super confident about that because I think that, you know, Donovan Mitchell in like Donovan Mitchell's prime. I don't want to say that he can be doing what James Harden is doing now, but who knows? Like he is whoa, so... Whoa, you are <laughs> way in on Donovan Mitchell. I didn't quite realize how deep in you were on him. No, I mean, you give him space to operate. I just don't understand how anyone's going to be able to stop him when he's in his prime. Like, he, get, he gets to the free throw line. He's so strong. Like, guys just bounce off him. Uh, so if he can just get that, you know, if he can erase some of the shots, like I said earlier, some of the shots that just are unnecessary uh, and, uh, you know, either turn those into swings to teammates or just don't take a step inside the three point line and pull up behind the three point line and knock that down with consistency. I, I like the sky's the limit for Donovan Mitchell, but I, I, as I say that I'm probably still going to take Devin Booker. I probably just do it. It's
0: like a 51 to 49 type of vote. Like we're have to call in the yeah. Supreme court, like Florida 2000, you know what I mean? <laughs> on this one um you know bush v gore style i'm probably going mitchell but just barely man um and i i i'm just hung up on on booker's defensive ceiling um because you know it's it's not like he's zach levine right like he's not that damaging i think you could cover him and certainly like now that he's playing with a a good defensive center and aaron baines like voila like you're saying they become this plus team right so it's not like it's crippling forever um but I think that Mitchell is just you know, going to be a better player on that end, a more helpful player on that end, more consistent player on that end. And I'm not sure that uh, Booker's pure talent offensively, uh, which I do think he's a better offensive player than uh, Mitchell at this point, is enough to overcome that. But we're splitting here. Both guys are awesome. Both guys are going to be all-stars next year. I'm going to go ahead and predict that. Um, you had Brandon Ingram on your team. Uh, I
1: think you're wrong, but please de- defend yourself. <laughs> I mean, a lot of what I just said for Booker applies to Ingram. I mean, the guy is averaging 25, 7, and 4. He's super efficient. Uh, if anyone's made, like, the leap this season from ex- based on expectations and based on where they were last year, I would say that he's made the biggest one this year just, you know, Every season of his career, I think, a lot of people thought he was going to be this high-volume, extremely accurate three-point shooter. He comes into the league, and he's just basically—I don't want to say he's afraid to take them. I just think that his release was too slow. He didn't have confidence in getting the shots off. And so he would take long twos and he would get into spots that he was more comfortable at. And it really hurt his efficiency. And now this year, it's just like he's a completely different player. Uh, I have a stat for you right here, Ben, you're gonna love this. He's one of 11 players in the NBA right now who averages at least six three point three point attempts per game, who's making at least 40% of them. So he's gone from being allergic to the three-point line to being one of the best three-point shooters in the league, which is incredible. His his, his free throw percentage is up 20% from last year. Michael, draws- I know.
0: You're speaking my language here because I used to deride him as the Noah's Ark player. Everything was two by two mm-hmm. by two, right? The long twos <laughs> yeah. all day long. Now he's out there doing 360s on jet skis and, you know, one-legged water skiing <laughs> behind the boat. He has completely transformed the nature of his offensive game, where he gets his points from, where he takes his shots from. It is so beautiful. Guys try to do it all the time, Michael, and they can't make the transition. Or they get stubborn and they don't want to make the transition. They say, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to play my style. And I cannot give him enough credit for looking in the mirror, for having good advisors around him, because I'm sure he's got people who are, you know, kind of trying to steer him the right direction. He is so much more valuable today than he was 12 months ago. Um, it's it's crazy, and he's so much more effective. Uh, that said, I'm still a little hung up, Michael. I'm not
1: totally sure he should make it because of the Pelicans' team success. What's your counter there? I mean, the team. Well, he's their best player, and they've had they've had a bunch of injuries. Uh, uh, you know, Derek Favors has been out. It's just a very young team. And they would be, I mean, they're four back of the Grizzlies right now in the eight seed. So they can catch them. Zion's going to come back next week. We'll see how they mesh. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday's got to work himself back into into uh, playing shape and 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 make the type of impact, the two way impact that a lot of people anticipated heading into this season. So, I mean, this team could easily make the playoffs. They have a lot of uh, strong veterans. They have a good coaching staff, but without Ingram carrying them and keeping their head above water uh or just barely from drowning i guess their nose above this like the the crest of the water just that's basically the situation that but he, he's he's kept them alive breathing so, yeah he's their arm floaties is
0: basically what you're saying which is you know kind of a nice visual image given how skinny his arms are um, yeah <laughs> like he could actually use some arm floaties and uh, you know maybe fill out his physique a little bit um I'm not convinced. I think that the team success is going to be the deal breaker for me with him. But you made a very um, rational and well argued uh, case on behalf of him. I guess let me ask you this: Do you think he's going to get in, um, or do
1: you think that the coaches are going to be frumpy like me and and snub him? Every time I want a player, and I and I do want Brandon Ingram to get in because he's just I think he's a great story and he's a great person and blah blah blah. Every time I want a player to get in, like. The coaches are a year late, and I feel like they're going to be a year late on Booker. I feel like they're going to be a year late on Ingram. Uh, and I, I mean, I could totally see. It's, it's really annoying, but I could see someone like De- Demar Derozan making it, or Russell Westbrook making it, because the Rockets are a playoff team and they need two guys. Like I could totally see something like that happening instead of Ingram or Booker. That would be very annoying. I could definitely see Westbrook getting in over some of these younger guys and
0: just me wanting to, you know, pound my head against the wall about it. Um, Let me ask you this. Last question on the Western Conference, because we've gone through this pretty carefully. Who was the, you know, you're mentioning guys that you wish could make it, but who is your biggest snub? Like, who is the toughest
1: guy for you to leave off? Is it someone we've already talked about or someone else? I mean, I guess, well, it's either Towns, CP or I just want to mention because I don't think we've said his name yet, but John Morant, who is, I mean, every time I watch, like he might be my favorite player to watch right now. I'm just gonna say that. Wow,
0: you outflanked me because I was about to come right back and be like, guess what? John Morant has moved into my personal top five, which is not an easy group to crack because I'm very stubborn and. And, you know, I'm a year late. A lot of the times, like, you're describing these assistant coaches, you know, I want people to earn it. I'm not just going to chisel you up on Mount Rushmore, you know, uh,
1: haphazardly.
0: (laughs) The dude has been
1: amazing, right? Incredible. Incredible. So much fun to watch. Um, Like, I don't even know what to... Like, I was saying earlier, I can't really, like, verbalize Donovan Mitchell's passing. It's just, like, I don't know how to verbalize anything that John Morant does. He is, like... He is just an alien out there. It's ridiculous. He already has like top five handles easily. Oh, his
0: handles are crazy. His
1: understanding of space is crazy. Doesn't it kind of
0: seem like he has access to 3D goggles that the rest of us aren't wearing? <laughs> like, he, like the angles that he sees and just like the little crevices and openings. Um, he just has a knack for it. Um, and I'll be honest, like he's not really my prototype type of player. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, of course, there's going to be some turnover issues because he's young. I think at times he's like unnecessarily flashy, which which sometimes r- rubs me the wrong way from guys. But the moxie, the composure, the natural leadership instincts, rallying his teammates, understanding his teammates' strengths and weaknesses, uh, the sense of timing, uh, the slipperiness off the dribble is incredible, uh, and his bag of tricks is is super deep. Um, and the progress on the shot has been pretty impressive too. Uh, I I don't know. I when I look at his physical abilities, uh, when I look at his mental makeup, leadership intangibles, all of it just screams franchise player. And that's pretty obvious to say now, <laughs> because he's been doing it for like, you know, two or three months. And it's been uh, so consistent. It's been translating to winning play. I just think it's crazy that they just went on a six game winning streak for the first time since 2016. They've changed their coach twice and They've overhauled their front office. They've, you know, shaken up the entire 15-man roster is different from the last time they had a six-game winning streak. And this guy's doing it at 20 years old. And the other major contributors are, are young guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks, who are, you know, relatively inexperienced by NBA standards. Um, I did not see this coming. They have made me look worse than every other team in the league. I thought they were going to be the worst team in the Western Conference based, you know, primarily upon their inexperience. I was betting against my uh, you know, my heart, which is usually a winning strategy for me, right? Because I just get a little bit too excited. So I'm saying, oh, I like these guys too much. So that means they're not going to be quite ready yet. Completely the opposite was true. Should have followed my heart, and my instincts, and, and bought all of the Grizzlies stock a little bit earlier. Um, I just couldn't squeeze them on, man. I, I think, you know, Dame Lillard's still a better player. I think Donovan Mitchell is, you know, doing a lot of what John Moran's doing for his team and, and doing it on a higher level from a team success perspective, Um, I would have John Morant above a Russell Westbrook on the pecking order. Um, And so I think just emotionally, uh, John Morant was my toughest uh, snub. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, one more year is probably the the fair conclusion.
1: Yeah. In five fewer minutes per game than Russell Westbrook, John Morant is averaging 6.9 assists. Westbrook's averaging 7.2. So that's just a fun little stat comparison there. But one last thing I want to say about Ja is that the, uh, I mean, I thought that the Memphis Grizzlies would be terrible this season as well. And, you know, a lot of my family and friends are from Boston and the Celtics have the Memphis Grizzlies top six protected pick in this year's draft. And, you know, Ja Moran is great when I'm getting text messages from my friends back home that, you know, they're not even upset they just love watching John <laughs> Morant play basketball. They, so if, they've
0: they've forgiven him for the pick implications. They know they're getting the pick for sure now, right? But it's like we'll we'll take the uh, loopy loop pick. assist uh, <laughs> because you know even if it costs us some pick position.
1: That's basically the situation. I mean, he's a highlight like he's and these are not you know they're not diehard NBA fans. They're just people who kind of flick it on when the Bruins aren't playing and. Uh, Yeah, they are mesmerized by him, and so shout out to John Morant, and uh, if you can turn over uh, and get, you know, angry Celtics fans on your side, then you're obviously a special talent.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, this guy's ceiling as a star is crazy high, right, because the buzz is already out on him, the Twitter streets are pretty excited, and I love it when a small market just really takes off, you know, a small market star just, you know, shoots to the the stratosphere like young Kevin Durant. Or a young Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, when he started, you know, hitting those deep threes and getting everyone excited, tapping his wrist—that's one of the best phenomenons, uh, you know, in M- in the NBA. And I think he's next up. You know, I think he's next in line. All right, we have debated and analyzed the Western Conference All-Star roster uh, enough, Michael. Apologies to the guys, you know, who we we left off, whether it's Westbrook or Aldridge or you know, whoever else, uh, you know, didn't make our cut, you know, better luck next year, you know, bring it a little bit tougher and maybe we'll show you some respect. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Goliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your sleep number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep, and now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen, now for only seventeen dollars You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Now, Let's go to the Eastern Conference. They are fielding a team this year, um, which is good. Uh, Not sure how talented this group is. Now I'm playing. Uh, Give me your Eastern Conference starters, because I don't
1: think it's open and shut like it was in the West, right? No, I think this is up for a little bit. There's a little more debate to be had here. Um, My backcourt starters are Kemba Walker and Trey Young and my front court starters are Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid. Well, 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 we're pretty close. We got 4 out of the
0: 5 the same. My starters were Kemba Walker and Ben Simmons for the Sixers. My front court was Jimmy Butler, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. And I should just say like I wanted it to be Pascal, but Pascal missed some time. The other guys are rock solid. And there's a decent chance that, uh, you know, Embiid, you know, winds up, uh, you know, being injured potentially for this all-star game. So that could, you know, put Pascal into a starting role. I'm not trying to snub him Toronto termites. Trust me, Pascal is also one of my top five favorite players to watch at this point. But I just had to, you know, find a tiebreaker there. You look at Miami's team success, Embiid, you know, just being a monster as always, and Giannis being uh, the best player in the sport right now. Uh, at least these, this season, you know, from a production standpoint and a team success standpoint, there was just you know very little margin for error. Now, Michael, come on, man. I thought you were a stat dork. I thought you looked at all this stuff. How are you going to have Trey Young, a player who hasn't even taken the court for a defensive possession yet this season, who's playing for <laughs> one of the worst teams in the entire league? How Probably are you, the worst. <laughs> how, how are you rewarding this guy with a starting spot, Michael? Come on.
1: So... First of all, I just want to say that Jimmy Butler should be eligible for the backcourt and it's garbage that he's not and I would have had Jimmy beside Kemba in my starting lineup. I just oh, want to as I, a, as a I just I'm, want to preface this argument no, with I'm, saying that really. No, I'm
0: with you. It would be so much cleaner, right? If it was Kemba, Jimmy, Giannis, Pascal and Embiid. I mean that's that would exactly. be my five. It would be so clean. Yeah. And Same. It, Come on. Like, it's 2020. How are we still screwing up the all star ballot positions? You know, it seems impossible to me. But anyway, talk to me about Trey Young.
1: Okay. So, I mean, you want to talk stats. Like, well, like, Trey Young is basically a superior Damian Lillard statistically this season, but he has garbage teammates. So, he's doing things more efficiently. Um, In more spectacular ways than Dame is uh, with Jabari Parker, Damian Jones, a couple rookies who have no idea what's going on at any time the defense, I mean, the offense, excuse me, definitely not the defense, the offense falls apart completely when Trey Young is not in the game. And when he's there, it's it's passable. It's about league average, which is kind of remarkable. There's not even a lot of people, I don't think, in the league that could take this roster and make it a passable offense when they're in the game.
0: I'm glad you said that. Stop there real quick, because we'll go on. But it's a great way to frame it. Let's imagine a situation in which you had like the ability to do substitutions for offense and defense on the fly in the NBA, right? Where like if the ball went back the other way, you could just like pull a player off the court and then suck somebody else in. Yeah. Uh, But I'm saying like you're doing it every possession, right? So Trey only has to play offense. How many guys in the league right now today, not for his ceiling, right? But how many guys in the league right now would you take if you only had to play offense with those players before you would get to Trey Young, right? Is he? I mean, can we kind of rank him? Is he a top ten player offensively? Is he a top, you know, five player offensively? I mean, I see some guys like Harden, Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi. I would take all those guys before Trey. How many more would you add to that list before you get to him? Did you say Luca? I did not say Luca, but thank you for adding that.
1: I, I was a, a gross oversight by me. Um, yeah, that's pretty disgusting. Um, yeah, I would take Luca. I would take Kawhi, like the guys that you said. But I think he's definitely top 10, probably like top six, top Ooh. seven, I would say. See. he's He's really good, man. I mean, if you can bomb away from 30 feet regularly and, like, drill those shots, as he has this season, and you are, you know, one of the... I would say, five best passers already in the league, which he is, and your entire offense runs through your ability to dominate in high pick and roll, but he also gets off the ball when he's trapped and he isn't, you know, like, he has to get off it, but when he gets off of it, like, his teammates are such trash that the position dies and he suffers. Um, but, you know, in comparing him to Simmons, who was – you know it was either Trey or O'Simmons or yeah it was Trey or it was Ben Simmons and it was really difficult for me to kind of parse between the two but just looking at like numbers i mean Trey has him beat like across the board in just about every statistical category you can look at every advanced stat he has more assists which is Ben Simmons thing he's higher usage lower turnover rate higher true shooting He's literally averaging twice as many points, twice as many free throws. Uh, You know, as I just said, he's one of the better three-point shooters in the league. Uh, Ben Simmons is afraid to shoot three-pointers. So, I mean, I don't really, like, when I look at these two and I compare them, What's really interesting is that they're basically like inverses of each other. You have this freak defender who can play all five positions, super physical, gets downhill, dominates on the inside, he can rebound, he can pass, uh, but he can't shoot and he has absolutely no range. And then you have Trey, who is the worst defender in the league probably right now, Uh, and Uh, can shoot can have range Uh, like you can run pie pick and roll with anyone he will feed you at the rim you will shoot 70% at the rim if you are 7 feet tall and you set a screen for Trey Young that is definitely not the case with Ben Simmons so I think it was just really fascinating the inverse between these two and kind of how exact like it's very yin yin yang with them Uh, but when I was doing this exercise to try to pick one I don't know if this is the right way to pick who I should have on my all-star team But if I were to trade Ben Simmons for Trey Young straight up right now, do I think the Philadelphia 76ers are in a better position long term? I think they are significantly better. So that kind of tilted it towards Trey, in my opinion. But I can see totally you going with Ben Simmons. It's not like a huge problem for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not fun to make the argument against Trey Young because... So much of what's happening in Atlanta is outside of his control and not his fault, right? And it's no fun to look at one of the very best offensive talents and almost a prototype for a modern uh, offensive playmaker and be like, yeah, but your team sucks. Yeah, but you suck on defense. Yeah, but you're too small and it's going to hurt your team. I mean, that is not a fun argument to make. I like being the Grinch sometimes, but I don't like being the Grinch towards Trey because uh, I would be frustrated out of my mind if I was him, you know, given the talent that's around him, like you're describing, and just given how rough their season's been. Look, they're worse than the Knicks. I mean, that kind of just says it all, right? Um, At some (laughs) point, though, it just kind of comes back to accountability, right? If they're that bad, I have to discount his numbers. I have to put an asterisk on some of his advanced staff performance. Um, And, you know, to me, it's a matter of when, not if he's an all-star. And I just want to see him be, you know, winning slightly more than 22% of his games uh, before I'm ready to kind of crown him there. If they were merely awful rather than atrocious, I would have been able to find room for him on my team. But unfortunately, uh, they are atrocious. So I'll give you the argument for Ben Simmons. I mean, look, he's not as good defensively as Trey Young is offensively, but he's pretty close. I mean, I think to me, he's, you know, Uh, an all defensive level candidate, super versatile, and the team is not built around him. uh, And yet he finds ways to add value every single game. And then I think offensively, he's a far more valuable player than Trey is defensively. So uh, it's not, you know, that that would be kind of my counter to this idea of like, well, if you traded them for each other, would Philly be better? I think some of that has to do with the context. And I can imagine a lot of contexts where Ben Simmons is surrounded by lesser talented people, but his numbers are through the roof and their team probably wins a little bit more than the Hawks are currently. So, you know, if I had to pick one in a vacuum right now, I would still take Simmons. Um, but that
1: may not be the case, uh, you know, down the road. Ben, 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 can I ask you a quick question? Please. Do you think that if they the, the roles were reversed here and that Ben Simmons was in Atlanta, that he could average basically 30 points and what is it nine assists a game
0: no but i think that they would win more games um
1: Hmm. okay fair
0: uh, i just think defensively yeah just because i mean look when you're saying a guy when you're just seeding the argument that the guy is the worst defensive player in the league like that to me that's like you know you're walking (laughs) off a cliff at that point right like that you know maybe just turn around and and you know try a different path um And that just matters a lot to me. I just think they'd be a little bit more stable, steady. Um, And I think that, you know, Simmons, everyone focuses on what he can't do. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of things he can do. And I just don't believe the Philly situation makes him uh, look as good as he could. Um, You know, if he was given a complete green light and given it, you know, if he was uh, given just even average or below average talent around him, but he didn't have guys just in the paint constantly, you know, taking away what he does best. It wouldn't be Trey Young-level numbers, but I could see him in a situation where he's averaging a triple-double, um, you know, and, and that No, would, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the bench, um, let's go through those quickly. Give me your, your reserves, and let's see how many of these we disagree
1: on. Okay. So backcourt, I have Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal. Front court is Pascal, Jason Tatum, and Bam Adebayo. And then, do you want me to give me my wild cards while I'm Please. at it? Yeah, do it. Wild cards are uh, Chris Middleton and Doma Simonis. So, did you, you snubbed Jalen Brown, is that correct? I Yeah, it's, it's a very sensitive subject, isn't it? even as I'm talking about it right now. But yeah, I had to snub Jalen. Well, great news. I'm your
0: doctor, and I'm sticking my finger in your wound right now. <laughs> uh, so, we were very, very similar. Okay, here's mine. I had Jalen Brown and Bradley Beal backcourt. frontcourt was Pascal, Chris Middleton, and Jason Tatum. Uh, My two wild cards were DeMontis Sabonis uh, and Bam Adebayo. So it looks like our only discrepancy is I had Jalen and you had Trey as a starter. I left Trey off. You left Jalen off. So I think maybe we need to start this conversation around Jalen. I realize it is sensitive, but uh, (laughs) how did you make the case for maybe Jason Tatum over Jalen Brown? And then, um, you know, when you're looking at sort of like all-around type players and you're putting a a guy like Trey, maybe more of a one-way player over Jalen, you know, what was it about Jalen maybe that held him back?
1: I mean, it honestly wasn't really anything too dramatic. I think Jalen's having an all-star caliber season. He's making his contract look like uh you know it's a lot of money but it's it's looking like a bargain for the Celtics uh, and like honestly it was just it's just it's it was kind of tough to uh have three all-stars on the Celtics and in my iteration of of my lineup I would have left Chris Middleton off and so it was really tough for me to only have one, player from just this juggernaut team that is rolling through, that is seven games up on any other team in the Eastern Conference, to the Celtics, who are, you know, they're they're very good and, and a very good team, but uh, I think they're third right now in the East uh, as we record this, and as we record... I'm glad you're making this point.
0: Milwaukee needs to have two All-Stars. Now, if you want to give Giannis two of the spots, so you just have Giannis and Giannis, I'm okay with that. <laughs> that's the only way you can leave Chris Middleton off this group cuz these guys are on a 70 win clip. And when the Warriors were on a 70 win clip, they brought everybody. They got four all-stars, right? So that's uh, you know, that's that's why I'm saying like let's show Milwaukee some deference and some respect as being just this crazy crazy consistent and incredible uh, you know, roster. And I, I know what you mean, too, about it's weird if a, a lesser team has three all-stars. You know, that can happen sometimes, right? If teams are top-heavy. Uh, I think Boston's really had a nice balance all year long. And, uh, you know, it, it could be any of those guys, and, and they've been consistent. You know, so from night to night, uh, I, I feel like they were all deserving, which is why I just didn't split the hairs between Tatum and Brown. I was just like, look, I, I think they both need to be on there. But I also, when I was making that call, I was making sure I had Middleton in too because. Um, You know, Milwaukee with one representative this year is that would just be misrepresentative of what's happened in the NBA, right? And that sounds like overly dramatic, and it sounds like me, you know, going to the Giannis Inc. well a little bit too much. But come on, guys, like if the Milwaukee Bucks were the Los Angeles Lakers, they would have like six guys on the All Star team.
1: Oh, Pat Connaughton would be like what is like first or second in the fan vote? Like what are we we even doing? Come on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Point proven. Okay. So um, that does sound like it would be painful for you to leave Jalen off, but I get where you're going on that. Now let's do this because let's say Embiid's not healthy um, for the all-star game. So they have to do an injury replacement. Who would you put in his spot? And remember the commissioner nominates this. So it can be any position. Doesn't have to be a center. Um, What would you, where would you go there?
1: I mean, my injury replacement would be Jalen. Oh, perfect. So it just, yeah, it fits really nicely. But, like, there's a lot of really good candidates. But, like, the leap Jalen's made, he's 50% from the field, 40% from the three-point line. He's actually making his free throws, which was a big concern earlier in his career. He defends. Like, he's a huge reason that this defense has been... As impressive top five, basically the entire season, because he takes the opposing team's number one option away as best he can. He's very physical, long, athletic. I mean, he should be in the dunk contest if he doesn't make all go to the uh, play in the actual game. And yeah, I just I, like at the end of the day, it was kind of just picking between Jalen and Tatum for me because I think the Celtics are deserving of two. And when I look at the difference between. Uh, the two Js like I just have always been more enamored with with Tatum's game. I think the way that the Celtics use him, like he's not he has not been as efficient, and his numbers have not been as impressive as Jalen's this year, even though he's scoring more points but his role as just the, uh, they run the offense through him a lot more. They play him in lineups with four bench guys because he can read the floor. Uh, You know, he can take a shot against uh, any type of defensive coverage. He's a better playmaker than Jalen. And I mean, the Celtics, like the quick thing, like the quick, like, and I'll be all stat for me when it comes to Tatum's impact is just his plus minus and the Celtics are plus 278 when he plays and minus 21 when he sits and that's just like there's no one on the team who even comes close to that disparity. So he's a huge part of their success.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's so good from a plus minus real plus minus perspective. I don't even praise him through gritted teeth anymore. I just praise him. I mean, it's it's been pretty wild. My injury replacement was Kyle Lowry. He's at 25 and eight right now. If you round up, I think he's leading the league in minutes per game, uh, obviously playing for a winning team. He did miss some time, which I know was a knock. Uh, but for me, it kind of came down to him or Trey and much like a grizzled conference assistant coach who wants to just reward the Joe Johnsons of the world for eternity. I settled on the veteran champion, uh, you know, in his, uh, you know, in his victory lap year, who's, you know, bounced back with, uh, you know, better numbers than he had last year, and obviously an increased role in Kawhi Leonard's absence. Just a couple stray thoughts here real quick. Demontis Sabonis needs to make it, right? And I've been banging this drum a little bit, but it is so obvious this guy is an all-star. And if you're saying, okay, the Pacers only get one representative because that's probably how it's going to shake out. To me, it has to be him. He's had a crazy year. Uh, He checks out across the board. I mean, of course, a player like him who has a high rebound numbers and is super efficient is going to look great by player efficiency rating, right? Like he almost is one of those guys who just sort of cracks that formula, but he's a stud in basically any advanced stat there is. I'm not sure where they would be at a, as a team uh, without his contributions. Uh, you know, plus player on both offense and defense, and you know, also to me, a pleasant surprise. Uh, certainly, he's shown major progress these last couple of years, but he's still kind of blowing away my expectations. And then I know you've been beating the Bam drum, and so I'm curious. I mean, you've you've explained the progress he's made as a playmaker and a passer. Uh, and filling out his offensive game, I'm curious though. Are you worried the coaches will be too late on him, or are they going to nail it and reward him because of Miami's success? And maybe you know both him and Jimmy make it. Like, what's your uh, Bam concern ratio right now?
1: Yeah, it's kind of high just because defense. Their defensive numbers have really slid over the past couple weeks, and that's kind of his. His bread and butter like he's in my opinion one of the five best defenders in the entire league and so when the defense is you know giving up 110 111 points per 100 possessions when you're on the floor that's not a great sign and he's just also not you know he's not a traditional scorer so I don't know what the criteria is I'm sure every coach has different you know goes through different avenues as they try to formulate their teams and put things together but if you don't have you know traditional averaging 18 points and 12 rebounds and whatever, uh, assists per game efficiently. And he's not really, blo- he hasn't really block a lot of shots either. So, uh, it's going to be, it might be a little tough. I think the team's success overall, uh, might give him some leeway with some coaches just because I think the Miami Heat deserve two, uh, 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 participants, but, uh, but yeah, it would not surprise me if the coaches were a year late on him at all either.
0: You're worried that they're going to put a guy like Andre Drummond in off of his box score stats.
1: Again. I will quit this business if that happens.
0: <laughs> hey, don't make that promise, Michael. You don't want to have to cash that one out. You never know with these coaches sometime, man. You never know. Um, who were your toughest snubs? I mean, for me, I already mentioned this. Uh, Trey Young was my toughest snub. It really came down to the team success, and that's not a huge fault of his. Also, his, his defensive impact. Um, you know, other guys on my list, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm very nervous that Kyrie could crash this whole party and and really you know oh, take no. away a guy, you know take away a deserving player's spot just because of his popularity. I really hope that doesn't happen. Um I saw him campaigning for himself a little bit, which was very bold. Um brogdon another snub maybe you could throw vucevic into the snub category because orlando's making a little push here recently so that's my list who else did you have as your snubs
1: yeah most of the same guys you mentioned uh i have brogdon who's been a really nice uh nice addition to the pacers spencer dinwiddie who's you know carried that team when Kyrie was out and uh, it's really nice of, of Kyrie to include Spencer when he started to list players that he wants to be on, on the team, uh, as opposed to those who are going to get traded eventually, apparently. Um, and, uh, I think Tobias Harris, maybe like if we're doing like the honorable, honorable mention, I think I just, I should say his name cause he's played some really good, uh, underrated basketball and, and Kyle Lowry as well. Um. I didn't. I, I, before we were recording this, I actually didn't even realize that he was leading the league in minutes. That's absurd for someone who plays how he plays and uh, is that age. That's like r- completely ridiculous.
0: All right, let me say this. I want to end this entire podcast, this whole conversation, with kind of a devious uh, question, and it was inspired by our our brief mention of Andre Drummond a minute ago. Who would be the player who could reasonably make? The roster in either the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference that would drive you the craziest, right? And I'm not even sure if Drummond is a candidate this year. It it does feel like Detroit falling, uh, you know, uh, out of the mix. You know, from a record standpoint, might keep him out of it. But is there one guy who you're kind of bracing and cringing in advance? You're like pre-cringing at the idea that he would be selected over, you know, these candidates who you've poured through their stats, you've looked at, you know, real plus-minus, all this other stuff.
1: Who's the guy that uh, is keeping you up at night, Alex Caruso? No, um, <laughs> um, I think I think it's it it, it might be Russell Westbrook. Be- yeah, because I think, I think
0: that's the right answer, man.
1: Yeah, I mean the per game numbers are there, and uh, speaking as someone who picked the Rockets to win it all and regrets it every single day, uh, there's just a lot of downside to him and his shot selection and the the physical decline that we all thought was coming has been slipping into uh, his game so far. So uh, that's got to be it for me, right?
0: Well, the tricky part with that is every once in a while, he'll come out with a 30-point triple-double, right? I mean, he definitely still brings energy, at least offensively, You know, very consistently. So I worry that the coaches are going to recognize the name, understand the star power, respect the the former MVP status, look at Houston record, and say, "Oh, yeah, it does kind of make sense." Like I just feel like there is a case to be made for him that's based maybe on lazy logic that could easily land him a spot over some of these younger guys, uh, you know, like a Devin Booker or like a Donovan Mitchell uh, or you know whoever else these rising stars are in the Western Conference. So. I could certainly get him in. It's not personal against him. It would just frustrate me that the process wasn't valuing the right things uh, if he did make it. I guess that'd be the way I would phrase it. Um, The other one would be Kyrie. And, you know, if he had played more games, you know, if he even got to 25 games, I could understand it. But given where his minute total is at, given how Brooklyn's performed with him on the court, I understand, you know, fans do want to see it, and I do think that factors in to the voting, uh, you know, to a fairly large degree. I think there's, you know, at least one eye towards how can we make the best showcase game, and of course Kyrie's going to have, you know, a perfectly tailored offensive game for a showcase format, and we've seen it in All Star games before. Uh, but I mean, come on, don't. Just grandfathered this guy in for no reason. I mean, let's have a little bit of accountability when it comes to the coach's vote.
1: Wait, so is yours? Because I was going to guess who you would answer for this question. You haven't said his name yet.
0: Uh, it's it's Westbrook or it's Kyrie. I can't even really you know differentiate between the two. Those are my top two. But you think is there a third? A uh, third candidate? You're worth. I
1: was uh, yeah. I was going to say you know in terms of pulling your hair out that you would you would gravitate immediately towards Demar Derozan. Am I wrong?
0: Well, I don't think he's in this conversation at all, is he? Um, I mean, that would really... I mean, now you just blew my mind. Now you're making me freak out and question everything. Uh, if the <laughs> coaches reward DeMar DeRozan... Look, I'm I'm being facetious here. He's played uh, more effectively lately. Their offense has really been something else here the last couple of weeks. LaMarcus Aldridge is stepping out and taking more three-pointers. Finally, after a decade of everybody wanting him to do that, it's helping DeRozan get back to his game. Um, but, you know, the defense has been bad from him for a long time. To me, I, I just, I didn't even seriously consider him. I think if they're going to get one, it should probably still be Aldrich, but I didn't think he had a good enough year this year. Did you weigh DeRozan at all or no?
1: I did a little bit. I mean, I, before this exercise, I, I did not. And then I started to look at some numbers and I mean, he's super efficient. And he's got a high usage and he's averaging twenty two five and five for a team that is, you know, a game out of the playoffs and it's the Spurs. So coaches love the Spurs. A lot like half of the coaches voting for this are probably like worked for Poppet sometime. So I just don't think it's impossible for him to slide in.
0: Look, Michael, this um, podcast only works if you bring good faith arguments. If you're just going to sit up here and just try to troll me and make me freak out, you know, at the end of an hour long podcast when I'm starting to show my fatigue factor a little bit, uh, we're going to get ourselves into some trouble. All right, so just please let's let's be a respectful podcast citizen here of the Open Floor Globe. No, I tease. Um, I think we hit all the major points, man. Uh, I think that we're also going to be pretty darn close uh, with our rosters. You and I didn't disagree too, uh, too often, maybe one spot here or there on, on each roster. I think that this year, in part because there's some major injuries to the star players, that the, the roster building process isn't as fraught uh, as it usually is. Uh, I think there's you know a number of pretty obvious candidates both ways. Uh, in both the east and the west but we'll see if that proves right or if that proves wrong Uh, we are working our way through the actual process i believe they released the third voting returns on thursday i think the starters are announced next thursday uh, if i'm not mistaken and then from there they'll do the reserves so uh, you know chicago is right around the corner and uh, i guess my hope is that this conversation helped prep you guys for who's going to make it uh, or who deserves to make it um, and uh, we'll see uh, if our you know shared Nostradamus abilities, Nostradamai, you know, you might call us, uh, prove accurate. Uh, Michael, I think that's uh, where we're gonna call it. Okay, everybody can uh, reach out to us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. If you didn't like our picks, if we snub somebody if there was someone uh you know who we gave credit to who you think was undeserving let us hear about it you know get angry bring in the hot takes open floor mail at gmail.com you guys can also find us uh on apple Podcasts by searching for open floor that's two words when you find our page scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy to kind of help us spread the word I'm on Instagram at Ben.golliver. I'm on Twitter at Ben Follow me there and you can find a link to my Washington Post newsletter on my Twitter page. Uh, it's free. It comes out every Monday. It's very easy to sign up. Michael's over at SB Nation. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Via's and Victor Pina. Alright, Michael. Until next week, when we're gonna hear everyone's hottest takes on the All-Star Selections and, and probably have to, you know, answer our loudest critics. I will talk to you. Talk to you
1: soon, Ben.